Julie, I am so impressed by all of your Facebook business skills. You are totally in hot, sexy businesswoman mode. I wish it felt that way, but if by hot you mean sweaty and stressed, <laughs> and you're you're absolutely right. Keep it sweaty. A hot guys. girl summer to sweaty businesswoman pipeline. <laughs> tired SLP I know just what you need go grab some caffeine find your favorite seat it's time for coffee tea and three SLPs welcome to episode six today we are talking all about IEPs sweaty IEPs contentious IEPs just things to keep in mind for IEP meetings. We're going to talk about all of it. Okay, so for our dirty try this week, we all have some IEP stories to share that maybe some of you will find relatable. And some of them are quite contentious. I know for me, uh, thinking about this episode, I was reflecting on an IEP meeting from my CF year where there was an advocate a parent advocate there. And then um, I was working at the time at this private school, sort of like Julie's school, where oftentimes public school districts would pay for their kids to go there if they couldn't get those services at that school. But oftentimes what happens is the public school might not want to pay that money for the private school. And so I remember one time this district really wanted this child to come back to their public schools. And so they brought, I think they had their own advocate, like the school's advocate. And then the whole meeting was recorded, which was my first and only time doing a recorded meeting. It was very scary. And what happened was the school's advocate was picking apart every part of the IEP and specifically honing in on the service grid, which says how many hours each of us spends with the child. And it was very nerve wracking because you really have to be careful writing those service grids. If you're going to say a certain number of hours, like you do have to make sure you have the documentation to back that up and, and that you are meeting those hours. And um, it was just, it was very scary. So I remember being, being kind of intimidated and everything was fine. And we, our team made made our way through the meeting, but it was very contentious and I was extremely sweaty. Those meetings are tough, man, at where they're just picking apart mm-hmm. everything. It's so, yeah, it's tricky because you just don't know for sure what they're going to pick apart once it's, they come to your sections of the IEP. Scary. What about you, Kyla? Whew. Any IEP stories you've been thinking of? Yeah, so... One of them was from last year and this parent who none of us had ever met before was very upset at everything. Um, And so I assessed this kid and they really had a lot of Arctic and phonological errors, like a lot. You could barely understand what they were saying. And so I wrote my assessment report And so we had the meeting to discuss this to initiate services. And he came into the meeting and he was like, I don't know why this says she has a learning disability. She doesn't have a learning disability. And uh, we the team just kind of looked at each other and we were like, what? No, nobody said that. Um, And so the IEP chair was trying to like figure out what he was talking about. And she was trying to like explain some things. And he was like, no, it says right here in the meeting um, or right here in the assessment report. And then he referred to what I wrote. And I said something like, this student was referred due to parent and teacher concern regarding low intelligibility. And he took low intelligibility to mean uh, um, a learning disability. I think it was maybe the word intelligibility, which he thought meant like intelligence or something. Um, even though I defined what intelligibility or intelligible meant later in, uh, the report, I said something later, like, um, 
intelligibility or ability to be understood is da 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 da. You know, I did define it in the report, but I guess he just didn't really understand, you know, what I was saying. And just was really, really upset and was kind of berating me um, about this and was like very upset at me for using this word and was like, I don't want this word following my child around. Um, even after I explained what this meant. And he, and so the IP chair was like, okay, Ms. Amit, can you just take this word off of the assessment report? And I was like, sure. So I edited uh, the assessment report and took out this word. And yeah, it just, I think it, he, and he was upset at like a bunch of other things that didn't really make sense. Like he was like, I didn't consent to this assessment, even though like this was parent re referred and they wanted her to have an assessment. And so we sent the papers home and the mom signed the papers. And it was like, that sounds like a communication issue with you and the mom, you know, and it just every little thing he was getting very upset about, but it was mostly this word intelligible. And I think it boiled down to him like feeling excluded from, I don't know, just the team or the process, the, the language we used. Um, so I really am now m more conscious of making sure that my reports are professional, but really like, you know, even though I define the word intelligible later in the assessment, making sure that I define it immediately when I say something like low intelligibility or maybe not even using that term. Um, so yeah, I think he just felt excluded, even though he expressed that very inappropriately. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's so much jargon that we throw around in IEP meetings. It's really mm -hmm. tough, especially when you're talking about your evaluations, because we want to write them, like you said, Kyla, in a professional way. We want to make sure if another SLP could pick it up and understand exactly what's going on but also they're for the parents. So if there's a term that they don't understand and then maybe the parent is also coming in with some defensiveness or some, some chip on their shoulder about it, then that can be really hard. And there's just a lot of jargon in the IEP process too, like an mm -hmm. IEP. Right. We're so used to just right. saying it, but there's so many things, the service grid, the, the, what's a goal, what's an objective, what's, who's a service provider, all of these things. So yeah, Ooh, but that sounds really tough. What about you, Julie? I know you have many <laughs> stories from my views. I think I was just trying to think like, what is the worst one or what's the one that I really was like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Um, and I'll start off by saying like, some, I think some educational advocates, you know, I, I know some educational advocates are way better than others. Um, and I've learned this year that, or these past two years, not every educational advocate is a lawyer. You can just be a freelance person that just wants to start their own business and call yourself an academic consultant or educational consultant and advocate. You wow. don't have to have a law degree, at least in Massachusetts, because I've worked with a couple, not worked with, but they're just at the meeting that don't have a law degree. And those meetings always go so poorly <laughs> for everyone. Um, and they're super aggressive and super intense. Um, so yeah, anyway, I think the worst one I've been in or the one that felt the worst was a parent was really upset because their student was reporting that she's getting picked on at school. And she, she was um, getting picked on. She used the word bullying a lot. Like I'm getting bullied. I'm getting bullied. We had no real evidence of bullying. We just had a lot of evidence of misinterpretation of the social situation, especially because they all had some social language difficulties. And it it was tough. She, you know, the student, she was trying to be really good friends and best friends. She was getting a little territorial with these two other students. And their way of joking around and humor was making fun 
with each other, but she didn't like that. So she kept kind of engaging. So it just causing a lot of issues and the students were having a hard time understanding the issues and the parents were so furious that we haven't, we, it seemed like we hadn't been doing anything. We we're just letting their kid get picked on at school. And in actuality, we had been doing lots and lots of work with these students to try to figure out what was going on. But um, there was one time where this student like just out of nowhere started crying in my session. And I had no idea why, like I went to go pick her up because she had forgotten she had speech, whatever, not a big deal. And I brought her to my office and <laughs> she just out of nowhere, we're just working everything's fine. And then she just bust out into tears. Um, and I, sorry, this is a lot of background, but I swear we're getting somewhere. <laughs> and then we're having this, um, I guess it wasn't an IEP meeting, it was a progress meeting to talk about these concerns again. And I had mentioned, oh, you know, I noticed, you know, today in speech, she did have some tears and I'm not a hundred percent sure why. And this just set the mom off. She just went, on and on about how there's definitely a reason behind these tears. I shouldn't be taking them for granted. And um, she just kept going and just digging into me, like trying to figure out, you know, I'm sure there was a cause who, who spoke to her along the way to your speech session? What happened earlier that day? How did you respond? Who are, who did you tell right away? Was she bullied? I'm sure she was bullied. And oh my God, I was just like, uh, I have no answer to your questions, but I will try to find some more information for you. It was terrifying. It was just, I don't know. It was just so scary because I thought I was just sharing something that was helpful to the parents, but it did not go, it was not received well at all. So that probably was the worst one. That's so tough especially when parents or the team thinks that you're not doing enough and you're like, really, we're like doing a lot <laughs> and mm -hmm. they just don't see it or recognize it. Right. Yeah. And I feel like in that moment you're pushed into the role of, I don't know, social ombudsman or like some middle person. Right. Ombudsman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you know that term? <laughs> no, <laughs> I think I'm saying it right. Ombudsman, ombudsman. It's, um, like uh uh an arbitrator that's mm -hmm. I, I don't know let me look up the actual definition um like like umass has or, or i know brown did too there was like an ombuds office where if you had an issue with a professor you would go to this ombuds place and then they would be the oh, middle like a mediation to like a, yeah mediation immediate service. that's a better term like a mediator right. no I love the term ombudsman let's keep using that. <laughs> yeah, yeah and so it was, you're forced to yep. be this mediator yeah and it's tough because I feel like as speech therapists we have some role in helping in the social piece in terms of developing friendships or mediating problems but there is a level where we don't we can't cross because that's where a counselor or social worker or somebody else would come in um and that was hard to explain to the parents because they were they're like well why aren't you taking care of her emotional well-being during speech therapy <laughs> to be like i can't i I can barely take care of my own emotional well-being. <laughs> That's why I'm not a counselor. <laughs> so it was just, oof, hated yeah. that. Hated then you meetings. start crying and then, you know, it's <laughs> yeah, just disaster that, land. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So sweaty IEPs, they're unavoidable <laughs> if you work at school. Yeah, yep, for sure. looks like we can start off with tips for preparing for just any IEP meeting. So what are what are the things that you guys do to prepare for an IEP meeting? I like to be very prepared. So um, ever since COVID, we've had all of our meetings online, even though school's back in person, but we still have our meetings online, which I really like because I write out everything. Um, that I want to say, I don't write out things like I don't read 
my assessment reports or like go through stuff in that kind of detail. I write out everything as I like to discuss it. So it sounds very, very natural when I talk about it. And so what I like to do is my IEP meetings are on Mondays. Um, and what I like to do is like on Sundays or maybe Monday morning or something, I will basically have the meeting in my head, which maybe this is overkill for a lot of people who are comfortable just talking, but I'm not. So I like to like have the meeting in my head, explain everything like I like to explain it. Um, so it sounds natural and then literally just write it down. And then at the meeting, I'm prepared. All my words are there. I'm not going to forget anything. I know it's going to sound natural because it's just, I wrote down how I explain things and how I talk about stuff. Um, and it just makes sure that I have like a successful meeting every time. And it makes me feel a lot more comfortable going in, knowing exactly what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it. It's a great tip. I definitely did that for a while. And I feel like I got to a point where I ended up just preparing bullet points. Um, and that was still helpful, but I remember there were IEP meetings or maybe they were scheduled, um, really quickly and I didn't have time to prepare and they went fine, but I always was able to be more present when I did have all my bullet points lined up. And I often talked, I just do this in my life anyway. I don't know if you two do this, but I, I often talk to myself throughout the day, rehearsing conversations that I will have or could have in the future. Oh yeah. yeah. All day, yep. all okay. day. I'm just having conversations with myself. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, so, so I would definitely do that. And, and, and it sounds weird, but it's also a rehearsal strategy and it's helpful because then maybe you, you think, okay, I, I know this parent is a great advocate for their child. They'll probably ask why I gave these tests. I'm going to just talk through it while I'm brushing my teeth and, and just mine is during shower time. I'll be showering nice. <laughs> and just the entire shower. I will be rehearsing. Sometimes I'll do it in Spanish. Actually, a lot of times I'll practice in Spanish and I'll just be, um, explaining things to a parent about their kid in Spanish. <laughs> that's, that's what I do during my shower time. <laughs> that's, a, that's awesome though. Cause then you could just think through what you want to say, how you want to say it in another language and the safety of your own shower. <laughs> <laughs> no one there to judge you but your shower head right um yeah and I think another thing that really helped me in preparing for IEPs was making sure that as much as you can you have a relationship and you built trust with the parent before the meeting and they already have a sense of what you're going to say and they know what you've been working on. So this might be more relevant to someone who's in the same role for, for at least uh, six months or a year. But the meetings go so much better when everybody comes in knowing what's going to be talked about. And maybe the parent already received or they should have already received a copy of the IEP, the evaluation reports. What we started doing at my school, too, was um, writing summaries of the evaluations because sometimes our reports get so long and if a kid got an SLP and OT and a psych eval and an ed eval I mean that's yeah, that could be over 40 pieces of paper that's a lot and some parents want that but other times it's helpful to say hey here are the eval reports and then we all wrote two paragraphs in very parent-friendly language about what we did, what we found, and what the next steps are. And sometimes that was really helpful. Um, and so making sure you, the parent is prepared for the meeting. And also I started sometimes when the parents wanted this, calling them before the meeting and having five minutes, 10 minutes, not a long phone call, but hey, we're meeting, uh, this is what I'll be discussing. How does this sound to you? And then we all come to the meeting more prepared versus sometimes I feel like when we, I haven't done that, unfortunately, I've gotten, I caught parents off guard a bit where maybe their kid did really well in the eval and maybe I'll be dismissing them actually. 
and they they're not re- emotionally prepared for that or the opposite mm-hmm. where they think mm-hmm. they've been doing great and they don't want them in services anymore but i maybe i f- from my progress monitoring data i found that they really do still need support so just touching base with the parent beforehand making sure they have as much information as possible can be really helpful that's a great point Brittany, because i also noticed the same thing that when i try to either email or schedule a phone call with parents before the meeting it did always go so much better or even sometimes so we have at our school each student has a one-to-one tutorial teacher that they see every single day just built into their schedule and that teacher is really like the point person for home and school communication and sometimes the tutorial teacher will even be like oh you know Julie wanted to talk to you, make sure you shoot her an email or give her a phone call before the meeting. And that is so, so helpful because you're right. But Brittany, when parents come in and you catch them off guard in a meeting, it just changes the tone or can keep the tone negative if that's how it started. So just making sure parents are informed, especially if there are big changes. I know we can't say too much about service determination outside of the meeting, but just saying things like, oh, they've been doing really, really well. And I can't wait to talk about all the different, you know, different ways their IP is going to look during the meeting or um, they, you know, they still, I can see us continuing to do work in this, this, this area. And we'll talk more about that in the IEP meeting. It just kind of sets the tone for what to expect from you, which, yeah, it does lower anxiety a lot for the parents, which they come in a lot of times with. Do you guys have any IEP meeting don'ts? Oh, I have so many. Go ahead. I have so many. What's one? So uh, my big one, especially if you're in a contentious IEP meeting, do not recommend something that is going to cost someone money don't do it um don't recommend hearing aids explicitly don't recommend an aac device specifically by name or brand um you know as in the school setting try not to recommend outside private services for example don't recommend summer speech services at an outpatient clinic because if you recommend it someone has to pay for it and it's not going to be the parent and you're going to get in trouble um yeah there's a lot of like rules about recommending outside services like you can't Mm -hmm. I heard that you like, can't really say that. And like, some of my kids do have right. outside services, but it's not because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, they need extra practice. Cause then, you know, right. someone can come up and be like, why can't they get that at school? You know? Mm-hmm. So it has, I think, um, in a lot of, I don't know if it varies by state, but I've heard that you need to be very careful if you are, if you like think that they should go somewhere else, you can't like yep. explicitly say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then what happens is you have an advocate or a really good parent advocate and they're like, hey, if your therapist in the school setting is saying that they cannot provide adequate services, then you have to compensate me so that I can find the appropriate services somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and I feel like, you know, sometimes maybe it is our place to say something, but when there are you know, IEP meetings, I feel like have a lot of politics around them or a lot of laws and regulations. So you just have to be really careful with what you're recommending. So if you're ever nervous about recommending something, just run it by your team leader or somebody because uh, it can get you into a really sticky situation that you don't want to be in. So that's my number. My mm-hmm. number one thing is don't recommend something that's going to cost someone money. Be very careful with your recommendations. Yeah, it's really good advice. And it also makes me really sad because Mm -hmm. there have been times where I really desperately wanted and the whole team really wants a kid, for example, to get an ADD diagnosis because we think that that would help them Mm -hmm. immensely. 
or get a, an official dyslexia diagnosis, which is another issue why SLPs and literacy specialists in schools aren't always the ones diagnosing. But aside from that, sometimes we want these labels and those evaluations that the parents have to get to get those labels can be really costly. And it makes me really sad because we have to skirt around this issue. And often we would use language like, here are some concerns that we have. We strongly suggest that you talk to your pediatrician about this and see if they can yep. recommend some next steps. When sometimes the pediatrician isn't as knowledgeable about dyslexia, mm -hmm. for example, as we are, and we're like, this kid is dyslexic, just get him this label and then we can do all these things for him. But it, it's really tricky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's usually my, so I had a couple of students who I was really concerned about their voice. Like it seemed to me like they're on the verge of just vocal abuse. Um, and they were starting, they had just really bad glottal fry and not hydrating enough and yelling all the time. So I would say to the parents in the meeting, oh, I'd really recommend that you go to your doctor primary care and show them the, this list of concerns and ask for next steps. So I don't think, you know, if you give them a list of concerns or with some very specific language that you hope someone will catch on to, mm -hmm. um, I think that can be really helpful and then kind of helps you avoid that awkward situation. But you're absolutely right, Brittany, like sometimes parents, you want parents to go get a certain specific evaluation, but you have to be careful with what you're recommending. Yeah. And sometimes schools actually do it right, in my opinion, and they mm -hmm. will pay for those evaluations. But I've just never worked for I, a school that will do that. I thought it was every parent's right to get reimbursement for an evaluation, an outside eval that they completed. Really? Like a, a full neuropsych eval? Let me, yeah, oh. let me look up. Yeah, an independent education eval. So you can get an independent education eval reimbursed, I believe. Yeah, but that's different. Isn't that when they think that let's say the, the school SLP does an evaluation and the parent isn't happy mm -hmm. with it, then they go and get another evaluation to test those same mm. things. I think that's what, I think yeah. that's what and the IEE okay. is, which is maybe different that's... from a professional doing an evaluation that wouldn't be done at the school. Right. Yeah. So it, and there has to be an evaluation rejection for some reason mm, before you get so. outside reimbursement. I do have another don't, a big one that I learned the hard way. Just don't ever talk about other students. It seems so obvious, but just don't even mention like, oh, we're working on narrative discourse skills and your student is doing and I see them in a group of students and your student is doing this with all the others or your students doing better or catching on faster or needs more help than other students in the group. I just found that those comparisons can often lead to really awkward questions that are making you say more about other students than you want to say in a meeting or even just don't talk about other teachers. Even if you're asked like, hey, as the speech therapist, do you think the English language arts teacher is teaching appropriately to my student? Real question Someone that I got. Asked you that. Awkward. Oh my mm -hmm. God. Yep. Just don't talk about other teachers. Find some way around it. Don't talk about the school district. Don't talk about another specialty that's in the room. Like if someone asks your opinion on some kid's handwriting and the OT is right there just defer. Just only talk about your student, what you're doing, the progress, and why you're recommending certain things. Because again, you can get yourself into a real sticky, awkward situation that just leaves you legally vulnerable, honestly. Great advice. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that relates to a big don't that I have tried to internalize is don't over talk and overshare. 
mm-hmm. keep it as simple as right. possible. It, it be comprehensive, but don't over because once you start getting into oh I have them in this group with this other student and they're working on these like just you know he, the students in a group whatever be very general with it um mm-hmm. because yeah that's really good advice you can get into sticky territory where you start to talk about yeah. other kids and and um and it's tricky because sometimes the parents will know exactly who the kid is with because maybe those kids mm-hmm. are friends outside of school and right we still have to follow HIPAA rules it's exactly. very hard Okay, my my big don't is for myself and maybe myself only, but don't try to speak Spanish if you don't actually know how to say everything you need to say in Spanish. <laughs> yeah, just get an interpreter. Just get an interpreter. Even if you think you can do it and you practiced in the mirror and and just don't do it. This is very important. It's very, it, it's a totally different vocabulary than maybe whatever conversational Spanish I might feel slightly comfortable with and it's important to have it done right and done well so don't do that I've I've actually been sort of forced into those positions when we we haven't had a translator there interpreter there uh and and I've I've muscled my way through it uh but don't do it just don't it might be better to just say hey let's wait until we have someone who's who knows how to say this very well in your language. I've, mm-hmm. my IEP chair has also asked me to interpret for a meeting or two. And I've said no, um, because one, that's not my Good. job to like, yeah, I don't know if I have the skills to say everything. These are legal documents. Like you need to make sure that you are explaining everything exactly how they should be. Um, and also even if you speak Spanish, even if you're a native Spanish speaker, a native speaker of you know any language, that doesn't mean that you can interpret or know how to interpret or, and also that's also not your job, you know, like even taking a teacher, like, you know, some teacher in the class and being like, Hey, can you interpret this meeting real quick, which has happened before. And one that sucks because that's not their job and they're doing extra work now. And two, like, there's been some like awkward interpretations from teachers, even though they're fluent in both languages, they still don't know how to interpret necessarily. Like this is a skilled profession, like interpretation. So yeah, I agree. Just get a certified interpreter. One more don't. Don't act like you know the kid better than the parent. Which good one. Good maybe you you're hearing this thinking, of course I wouldn't do that. But I think a tendency, especially when you're reading out evaluation results, is to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about what you see, what you noticed, without inviting the parent in to give their input on this. And so something I learned just in my fourth year working as an SLP was to, instead of word vomiting everything I found about their kid, saying, <laughs> Here's, here are a couple things that I've noticed do you see that at home or what do you see at home? And in, and making it more of a conversation and we can totally get into the data and the scores if they want, but making it more of a conversation. So then it's not just me saying like, okay. And then they got this score on this test and that falls in the below average range. Like there are so it's a much better way to, to do it when you invite the parent in and make it a collaborative discussion about their child, because they really are the expert. I have two don'ts. Um, One of them is don't read off of things. This kind of goes along Mm. with like oversharing, unless they're like, is an advocate and they're like requesting that you read things. But I've been in meetings with some teachers, one teacher in particular, who would literally read her entire educational assessment, just read it in the meeting. So dry. And she would like, we're in this meeting for this kid that we all know. And she'll literally start by saying, so I assessed this kid, first name and last name. His date of birth is this. He is in pre-K. He is five years and six months old. He attends this school. I'm not joking. 
she read everything and I'm just sitting there like oh my god we know we know who this kid is yeah we know why we're here yeah so don't read things even for goals like goals are written in such specific ways for me I don't like to read my goal because that doesn't I don't know like we're used to like decoding goals but goals sound super weird you know so when I talk about a goal I'll say something like okay, for this goal, we're going to be working on this skill. And for this goal, we're going to be working on this skill, you know, and not like, you know, I've had some like OTs read off their goals and their goals are kind of complicated. They'll be like, this student will do bilateral, you know, cross contamination by scissoring the 2.87 centimeters by through their midline. It's like, okay, just tell me what skill they're working on. Yeah, clearly we understand what you do, OTs. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, that's those are really good points. Yeah, that's probably what it sounds like when we're talking too, and we use words like maybe intelligibility, which we don't even Mm -hmm. think of as a term to be defined. But I'm sure we sound that way too. Yeah, and my second don't is with interpreters. Don't talk to the interpreter. Don't ask the interpreter to say something. Don't tell the interpreter, can you tell mom this or like, you know, describe something to the interpreter, just talk to the parent and the interpreter will do their job. Mm -hmm. That's my last don't. That's a good one. And that was a don't that we talked so much in grad school and our clinical placements about, but I caught Mm -hmm. myself starting to do that when I was on my own it's so easy just to fall into it because the interpreter is going to do most of the quote unquote talking. But we have to remember the interpreter isn't contributing new information. They're just there to be the conduit for information. So we still need to address the parent directly. They're the Ombudsman. What's that Ombudsman. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, I wonder, I have, I actually thought of a lot of do's, like IEP prep do's. Do we want to start getting into those? Yeah, let's take it to a positive level. So IEP do's, my big one is get as much information as possible, especially if you know you're about to go into a contentious IEP meeting, like get the dirt as much of it as possible and not just you know obviously read the file but don't just do that read the file talk to the uh receptionist at your office or whoever your office crew is get in good with them and talk to them see what information you can get talk to the team leader if you know or can get in touch with the previous speech therapist talk to them talk to all the teachers just Try to get as much information as possible on the student, especially if it's about to be a tricky or sweaty IEP meeting, because the more information you have, the better. Because whenever I get caught off guard with something, that just makes me sweat even more (laughs) in a meeting. Even if it's nothing directed at me, I just hate being caught off guard. So that's really helpful. And always, always beware of a very thin file for a student Mm. if a file seems weirdly thin based on what you know about the student there might be some redacted information or Mm. inform files that were withheld so weirdly thin files are an indicator that something is missing purposefully Mm. and you need to find out what it is yeah, I like that idea. And talking to everyone beforehand is a really good idea. I like to talk to the IEP chair, the special educator, the teacher, whoever works with that kid, really mostly just to make sure that you are all on the same page as a team and that no one mm-hmm. is going to disagree with each other at this meeting while the meeting's happening in front of the parent. Like work mm-hmm. out what you need to work out beforehand so you can all go in with a similar mindset and then nothing will be like confusing or like any sort of like argumentative or anything like that in front of a parent. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially if, if it's possible talking to the social worker or school psychologist beforehand, more so maybe social worker, because we can't assume family structures at home. And sometimes we might say things like, um, or, or it, um, implying that the parents will be there instead of a different caregiver or a grandparent. Um, even on the sign-in sheets, sometimes it says like parent or mother, father, like assuming a heteronormative parental structure. Mm -hmm. There are all these assumptions that we can have going into it. And sometimes the social worker, if they can share and, um, if it makes sense for them to share even just some of this information, like, hey, this is who's going to be at the meeting, just a heads up, maybe don't mention X, Y, and Z, because some sensitive things have happened, and they can't always share the details, but it's helpful sometimes to just know, okay, I I, I have this bigger understanding of, of things that will help me maybe not make a blunder in this meeting. Good point. Another IEP do I have is be ready for really uncomfortable or tricky questions. Even if you're not expecting it, just be ready for uncomfortable questions. So I've been in meetings where the family's advocate just straight up questioned every single person's credentials. They wanted you to say where your credentials came from, what your license number was. Oh my and, God. Um, is your licensure active? Is it inactive? They just were really, really picky about what your credentials were. So just be aware of that or be ready. That's just one example. But something I've learned is that sometimes when you are answering those uncomfortable or tricky questions or you hear them in a meeting, it can be dependent on the advocate and family. But try not to take it personally because I've learned that the family and advocate probably have talked about some sort of strategy or goal for the meeting way ahead of that. So sometimes it sounds not great, but you know, sometimes advocates, they come and they, they know the school system really well. And to keep in mind, it is a system in a lot of ways. So they're going to be strategic and do what they can for their student. And sometimes that means really uncomfortable, tricky questions. So I like to, if I know a meeting's about to be contentious or if there is about to be a meeting with an advocate that is known for really tricky questions, I just try to brainstorm, what are the worst questions someone could ask me in this meeting and how would I answer them? <laughs> so that's something that I really recommend doing. Something that I recommend doing, which we touched on earlier, um, is just defining everything that you might not think mm -hmm. you need to define. So intelligible, intelligibility being one big one. Um, articulation and phonology. Ooh, I always yeah. go over what those are and what they mean. Stimulable and stimulability always go over what that means. And even ones that are more simple, like receptive and expressive language, I always go over very briefly. So if I'm talking about, you know, a student's goals or whatever, I'll say, um, so for their receptive language goal, this is what they understand. And then I'll say for their expressive language goal, this is what they say or how they communicate. Just something super simple so they have a definition. Are there any other words that you guys can think of to make sure to define? Um, hmm. I feel like those are usually my top ones. I feel like if there's a diagnosis or something in the developmental history that I feel like is important to mention. So if your student has a history or present maybe cleft palate or cleft lip or some sort of malformation, you might want to explain that in detail. Mm -hmm. Or if they have like a vocal fold, something going on with their vocal folds, or I don't know. I think anything, if you're about to talk about anything anatomical, you're going to want to explain that in detail. And 
I'm a huge fan of photos and pictures. <laughs> so I feel like if, even if you have to, so I had a kid who was just recent, recently they just got their trach out. So I had to explain that. So I just kind of added a photo of like a trach, just a little pictograph and hmm. just to show what it was that I was talking about in the back of the report. I feel like that's all. Oh. You can also just bring those to the, to the meeting. Another do, definitely just go in knowing your shit. Just know, know it, be confident about it. If you have to do research ahead of time, do the research, don't skip out on it. I know it takes a lot of time, but just be prepared to defend yourself and why you made the clinical decisions you made or why you're recommending services or changes in services. Because if you don't go in prepared with your rationale, then it's really, really easy for someone else to say, well, here's a rationale for why you need to increase services or reduce services or work on something else that you didn't want to work on. So you don't, you don't want to leave yourself too vulnerable to get a little bit pushed around in the meeting. Like obviously mm. you want to take in take in family consideration and take in their perspective. But there's there is that kind of balance of okay, I'm gonna take the parents' perspective and family concerns, but here's still the rationale for why I'm recommending a certain service model. So just just know your shit. Just do it. <laughs> just research. Yeah. Know your Prepare. shit and know the limits of your shit. And it's okay to say, I don't know, (laughs) or, or some version of that's a really great question. I'm going to look into that and get back to you. So you don't then over That's what I can get myself when I can get myself into trouble is I start to try to go, you know, talking about things I might not really be qualified to talk about or have the answer for. Mm -hmm. So know your shit and know the limits of your shit. I know I had so much. I talk about this forever. But my last tidbit is just breathe every chance you get, especially if you're really stress sweating or jittery or shaking. Just breathe. Like, keep in mind that the families, if it's contentious, the families have gone through a lot working through the school system. And a lot of times the parents are scared or anxious or really just worried. So I find try to be empathetic. Take every chance you can to just take a breather. Even if you have to answer a question, just wait a second, take a breath and that often helps. Yeah. And I'd say working in the public schools, at least like 95% of my meetings are either good or fine. Like either the parents are like, okay, cool. Or they're like, thank you so much. We appreciate everything you guys do. Like the parents are super nice, super Mm -hmm. appreciative. And like maybe 5% of the meetings, maybe like two or three a year are contentious and the parents are upset about something. So most of the time, the parents will be completely fine, completely happy with everything that you're saying. Um, so yeah, not, not to worry. So true. I would say 95% mm-hmm. is a very good number for that's reflective of my mm-hmm. experience as well. So much of the time yeah. it's easy peasy lemon squeezy. let's go into what's been brewing. Does anyone have anything to share about what's been brewing? Um, nothing too crazy. I wonder, you know, I know Ash is coming up in November. I'm not going this year. Are you guys going this year? No, but you are going to New Orleans. I am, but not for Asha. <laughs> You're going to New Orleans the right way. Exactly. It's a party. <laughs> exactly. I'm so excited. Uh, but I just saw something about the ASHA convention pop up. So if anyone's going, let us know. I won't see you there, but let us know. Yeah. And I start my classes tomorrow. Yay. Woo. I have a backpack. I got a new backpack. I'm so Ooh. excited. I really backpack, wanted backpack. a um a purple backpack but when I started researching them online backpacks are so expensive I thought I could get one Mm -hmm. for 20 bucks 30 bucks so expensive and so I didn't end up getting one and then a friend actually lent me hers 
it, and it's a great backpack. She's used it for a while, but it's blue and I wanted purple. Okay. You know, how am I supposed to be a PhD student with a backpack? That's not my dream purple backpack. <laughs> Everyone's going to make fun of you. Everyone's no going to be talking you seriously about with a blue backpack. <laughs> seriously. Have you seen that girl with a blue backpack? Ugh, is what they'll say. <laughs> exactly. My thoughts. Exactly. So the other day I was walking around Northampton and I found this bargain store and I walked in. Deals and steals. Deals and steals. I love deals and steals. I love that store. Oh my God. It's incredible. And another friend had actually Mm -hmm. recommended it to me before. And I just, I was on a walk and I just ended up at it. And I got a bunch of stuff there. I got my... I have to get like, I, I'm a very sensitive lady and I have to get sensitive skin shampoo and sensitive skin condition, all these sensitive things. Cause I'm allergic to a lot. And I got my conditioner there for like $3. Whereas mm-hmm. when I bought, buy it online, mm-hmm. it's like $12. So I, I was just like buying all the conditioners and things. And then I, I paid for all the things I bought. And then I, I'm on my way out and I look up and it's like the light of God, you know, you hear the angels, oh, and what is hanging up on the wall, but purple backpacks. No Dude, way. Dude brand. No like way. A nice brand made out of, I think it's like recycled um, material or something. And I was like, I dropped what I was holding. I was like, <laughs> cashier, get over here. No, I walked over and I was get like, me all get of to them. me your best <laughs> purple backpack. <laughs> That is so amazing. Yeah, no, it was but seriously, mm-hmm. if you're ever in Northampton, Massachusetts, go to Deals and Steals. That has oh to be God, the first yeah. thing you do is go and ignore all the other great things. Just go to Deals and Steals. I'm a mm-hmm. terrible Western Mass person. I've never been to Deals and Steals. Girl, oh. stay tuned on our Instagram. Let's force Brittany to do a takeover with her purple backpack. Oh, yes. I'd love to. <laughs> All around campus, purple backpack getting coffee, purple backpack studying. Where, oh my gosh! Where yeah. in the where in the world is Brittany's purple backpack? Oh, oh my god! I should name it. I should name it. Oh please! I think do. she's a Cindy. Ooh, Cindy the purple backpack. Yeah, she's a classy lady. lady. Yeah. What about you, Kyla? What's been brewing? Oh, nothing's been brewing for me. Um, but I also have a purple backpack. <gasps> no way. Um, it's not it's not brewing because I've ha- been using this backpack every day since undergrad. Um, they last forever. Impressive. They really last forever. I've been using this backpack, I kid you not, every single day since I was 21. Wow. So, purple backpacks for the win. Yes. So this is embarrassing because I have a blue backpack. And I oh, that's so embarrassing of you. That's literally humiliating. I can't believe, I can't believe you so have one of those. I do have a blue backpack oh, and I've hard. also been using it since undergrad. I feel so sorry for you, Julie. All right, guys. We will see you next time. The views and information expressed on coffee, tea, and three SLPs are solely host and guest opinions or based on clinical experiences. This is for entertainment purposes only.